But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. Morning, guys. Welcome to Trailhead. My name is Steve, and I'm lead pastor here. If you're new, um, welcome. We're going through a, a three-week three mini-series where we're looking at um, our mission statement, the mission of our church, walking in Christ as a community on mission. And we're unpacking kind of just the, the pregnant meaning of that phrase, and, and we're doing it from this text. Um, and my goal is... is um, is going to be different for, for different folks. If, you, if you're a member or regular attender, I mean, honestly, my goal is um, to re-envision you to why we're the church, um, why we gather. Uh, I want you to be um, challenged and encouraged to push deep. It is so easy uh, to just start going through the motions. It is so easy to just kind of fall into a rhythm of, um, I don't know, kind of just doing it, you know, uh, and it's kind of pretend and it's kind of, but, but pretty soon we're talking about life and we're not living it. And so I want to challenge you again to the, mar- to the marrow, to the, the, the real stuff at the heart of this. Uh, if you're a visitor, I want to give you a sense of who we are um, and, and kind of just put it out there. This is who Trailhead is. This is what makes us tick. This is why we exist. Um, and God may be, in, you know, moving some of you to join us and, and um, he may not, but we want to be clear about, about what we believe God has called us to do and who we are and, and invite you to join us in that if, if God is moving you to do that. Uh, if, if you're not a follower of Christ, somebody invited you or you're just here kind of checking it out, you have questions, um, this series is for you too. Um, honestly, I want to unpack and give you a glimpse into why we do what we do and what makes us tick, why we believe this stuff and why we're chasing it down. Uh, there will be an invitation, obviously, for you to join us as well. Um, but this is a safe place for you to, to ask questions, to get into dialogue, and kind of explore um, this whole thing. And, and, and if nothing else, I hope that you leave with a greater understanding um, of who we are and, and, and what motivates us um, as believers in Christ to pursue what we, what we do. All right, so I'm um, kind of digging in this morning. Now, as I was getting ready for this morning, I was I was going to kind of bring a prop up here and have a little bit of fun. I was told, you know, Steve, that that's not, we're not a prop kind of church. You can't do that. And not only that, what I wanted to do was going to be a little messy. Um, it, would, it would have been very distracting too. But, but uh, what I would love to have done is uh, a little, little, uh, <laughs> a little action comedy thing. But take a drill, um, stick a tennis ball on the end of it. And, and my original thought was ketchup, but then maybe water. And just turn the thing on. Um, just to give you an illustration of centrifugal force. That would be fun to me. Um, I would enjoy watching you while I did that. Um, but we all know what centrifugal force is. You guys ever been to, you know, like Six Flags where you climb into that barrel thing and it spins and pretty soon you're like glued to the wall and the floor drops out? Isn't that fun? No? <laughs> it's really not. Um, you know, there was a time in which I could like, oh yeah, this is kind of fun. And then it got to a point where I was like, this is no fun at all. Um, and that hit about mid-30s, I'm just going to say. And so... Um, but we know what centrifugal force is. Is this this weird scientific thing of inertia and momentum? And I'm not a science guy. But what ends up happening is things fly, right? Things fly. When things spin really fast, things fly off, right? Now, let's take that a step further. Um, you live on a very large tennis ball. You really do. 
It is spinning through space at the equator. It's spinning over 1,000 miles an hour. Why aren't you flying off into space? That would be awesome. Why aren't we just being scattered into the deep darkness of space? Well, there's this mysterious force called gravity, right, that, that holds us down. And I love the way science does this. I'm not a science guy, but I, I still find this humorous, is that sometimes we have no idea what we're talking about, so we just name it, right? What is gravity? It's that force that holds us down. What's the force that holds us down? Gravity, right? Okay, we've got to solve. It's this thing that just keeps us from flying out into space, right? It is, we don't fully understand it, but it keeps us grounded. Okay, gravity is really good when it comes to the earth. It's really bad when it comes to your heart. Gravity keeps us from being flung into space. But it's horrible in our hearts because what it does is it locks us down into ourselves. One of the things that I want to talk about this morning, kind of the heart of it is this, that love is the only power that can break the gravity of your heart. Our hearts are broken. Our hearts are bent. And as a result, there is an inexorable pull towards self. We are very self-protective, self-motivated, self-prop. You know, we want to make our names. It's all about self. And if we're not careful, that pull towards self becomes so powerful that we remove all light, all joy, all freedom from our lives. We get so locked in our self-protection, our self-promotion, our self-improvement, our self-self-self. And there's only one force in the universe strong enough to free our hearts from that inward pull of sin. And that's love. That's love. And that's kind of what we started unpacking last week. And I want to pull a few principles out of last week. I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but there were a few key principles that are foundational for us today, okay? And so last week, we looked at the first um, answer. Now, we're not going to get into the whole Pharisees and lawyers thing. Um, we kind of talked about that last week. A lawyer came and tried to trick Jesus, and Jesus double-tricked him back, and it was awesome. Um, but what's really cool is not just that he tricked him, but he actually gave him a profound answer that is um, infinitely meaningful to us. I mean, he basically gives us a glimpse into the meaning of existence, the meaning and the purpose of life. And the question was, teacher, what's the great commandment of the law? And of course, he's being technical and trying to trap him into, you know, is it this law or this law? Is it this group or this group, this teacher or this teacher? He's trying to divide the followers. Jesus comes back and he says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now, we unpacked that last week, that the first and foremost commandment is that you will have this um, just incredible, all-consuming love for God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So three key points from last week that I want to I just review. The first is that God commands what He designed us to need. God commands what He designed us to need. What do I mean by that? Well, when God says, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, He is not being cosmically narcissistic. He is not you know, like this, you better love me or I'm going to punish you. You better love me or I'm going to, you know, you, you better. What he's saying is, I designed you to find your center in me, not in yourself. I designed you to find in me the delight you're looking for in all the other places. 
I gave you gifts to lead you to me. So think about it like this. God, the creator of all things, is the one that in fact created pleasure. God, the creator of all things, is the one who created love. God, the creator of all things, created sex. God created ambition. He created productivity. He created work. He created culture. And He gave all of these things to us as gifts. But they were never meant to become ends in and of themselves. They were designed to be appetizers. You guys know what an appetizer is? An appetizer is is something that's supposed to... Like, I'm not talking about an appetizer from, like, I don't know... Red Robin or something, you know, where it's like a meal to itself. You eat one of those and you're like hungry. Like for three days, you're not hungry, right? An appetizer is specifically designed to whet your appetite for the meal. And if you go to some place where, you know, you have somebody cooking who really knows what they're doing um, and, and the meal is, an appetizer is going to whet your appetite specifically for the meal you're about to eat. It'll actually prepare you for the meal. It'll point your appetite, point your palate toward what you're going to consume. God gave us gifts to be appetizers, not meals. He gave us ambition, productivity, culture, sex, love, all of these things as gifts, but not so that we would be satisfied with them, but so that we would see through them to the giver of the gift. He is the one who is infinitely satisfying. He commands what He designed us to need. God designed it so that we would find our deepest, greatest fulfillment in Him, not in the gifts that He gives us. So when we look to the gifts instead of the giver of the gifts, we become idolaters. That's the biblical language for it. We start looking to something that isn't God to do for us what only God can do, to be for us what only God can be. And what ends up happening is when we do that, we destroy the very thing we're looking to. If you're trying to find your ultimate joy in a person, you will destroy your relationship with that person. If you're trying to uh, find your ultimate pleasure in sex, you will end up, in fact, robbing sex of its actual pleasure and deepest fulfillment. If you're looking for your job to give you your ultimate meaning in life, you will end up emptier than when you started because the gift cannot provide the deepest needs of your soul. It's designed to point you to the giver of the gifts who can. God created these things because in Him are, in fact, the realities that we seek. Scripture says that in His right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's the one that created them. He's the one that gives them. He's the one that will ultimately fill our heart. He's... So, God commands what He designed us to need. This is not um, God just being self-centered. This is God basically saying, look, I designed you to find your deepest fulfillment in me. I'm not going to command you to find your deepest fulfillment in me. If you want to to be a follower, if you want to glorify me, to honor me, then you're going to honor the way I designed you. And that is to find um, me infinitely delightful. Because in the end, that's what love is, isn't it? If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, it means that you find Him infinitely delightful. You find in Him what draws your heart, Right? Um, the second thing that I want to remind you of is that God's command is absolute and universal. God's command is absolute and universal. When, when He talks about your, your mind and, and your soul and, and your, um, your heart, He's basically saying everything that you are. You're a multifaceted being, right? There's some complexity to being human. He's saying all of that complexity, all of those facets come together, and I want them all to, to love me. In fact, He says not just all of those parts, but all of those parts. I want all your heart. I want all your soul. I want all your mind. God is not content 
with um, 80%. He's not content with a nod. He's not content with simple affection. He's not content with um, uh, um, just a, a passing reference of respect. He wants our hearts. All of it. All of it. Now, as followers of Christ, um, this is an incredibly difficult command to follow. In fact, we're going to get into that in a minute. It's actually impossible. You can't do that, but we'll get into that in a sec. So what we end up doing a lot of times is instead of pushing through like we're supposed to, um, we end up redefining. We do very much like the Pharisee in, in this text, and we make some pieces weightier and some less, and so pretty soon we redefine loving God as knowing about God. So, so spiritual maturity is really not loving God, it's knowing about God. It's about having all of this information about God. It's having this full catechism of knowledge about God. It's, it's, man, I just know so much that other people don't know. And pretty soon the measure of spirituality is how big your brain is, right? How much knowledge you got shoved up in there. <laughs> and God's like, no, it's not about how much you know. You don't, you don't love God by knowing about God. You love God by knowing God. Right? You don't love your, your spouse by knowing their vital statistics. <laughs> you love your spouse by delighting in them. You know their vital statistics, but it's because you delight in the person, right? Not just your mind, but your, your soul. Um, that word suke, we get our, our, our English word psychology. It's this idea of, of developing ourselves or investing in other human relationships, right? Some people redefine loving God as, as you know, serving people. Um, developing your own skills, your own talents, investing into people. And here's the deal. There are ways that you can invest. You can lay down your lives for people and not love God. There are ways that you can have deep emotional experiences of worship and not love the God that you say you're worshiping. You can be a pool of goo on the floor, melted in tears, so deeply moved by the music, but not be infatuated by the very God you're singing about. God is not interested in us pretending to know Him, pretending to love Him, acting like it. He wants the real thing, and He wants all of it because He, in fact, designed us not to center our lives around ourselves, but to center our lives around Him. And that is a love relationship. He wants us to find Him infinitely delightful because He is infinitely delightful. Now, here's the challenge, you guys. This is not something we can do. You can't make yourself love something. You can, you can try to make yourself like it. You can tolerate it, right? You can, you can be polite to it. You can, you can smile about it, right? You can be nice, right? God doesn't want your politeness. God doesn't want your niceness. God is not interested in your pretending. He wants your heart. So how do you, how do you make yourself love something? You ever tried? It doesn't work. You can't just turn it on. You can't just say, I will now love this thing that I did not previously love. See, love is a response. God designed us to be responders. We were designed to delight in God's infinite delightfulness. In turn, He would then pour out more of His delightfulness to spur us on to more delight. The problem is our hearts have been bent away from God and toward self because of sin. So how do we bend them back? How do we come to love God? 
And that kind of brings to the third point in this, that, that, that God's command requires us to stay centered on the gospel. God's command to love Him with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds requires us to stay centered on the gospel. That's why I believe we need to be a, a gospel-centered church because ultimately it's His love that provokes our love. What do I mean by gospel and what do I mean by gospel-centered church? The gospel very simply is good news that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, that, that God lived the life we should have lived, that God became man, lived the life we should have lived, that He died the death we deserve to die by choice as our substitute, taking God's wrath in our place as our substitute, and then He rose again to new life, showing that the, the payment was complete. And he, and he rose not just for Himself, but for us so that we could come into new life, so we could be forgiven and, and justified and, and given a, a new relationship with God, so that we could be no longer categorized as rebels, but as sons and as daughters. Because He took our rebellion, He gives us His sonship. That's the good news of, of the gospel. The gospel is not advice on how to live. The gospel is not 10 steps to how to improve your life. The gospel is a message, not of how you perform for God, but of how God has performed for you so that you can come to rest. Here's the deal, you guys. The gospel is the only message in the universe powerful enough to break the gravity of our hearts away from from self-centeredness, self-focus, self-protection, self-promotion, and free us to love. When we look at the message of the gospel, it provokes us to love and response. This is, this, is, this is natural. I mean, you know this at the workplace. You know, you go to work and there's that weird little dude. And at first you're like, man, I don't even want to be around that guy. He just kind of creeps me out, right? And, and then pretty soon the weird little dude is, is doing nice things for you around the office. And pretty soon you're like, oh, that was kind of nice. And, and, they're, and greeting you warmly. And, and, and pretty soon you come to appreciate warm the, the weird little dude. And, and pretty soon you may even come to like the weird little dude. And pretty soon you realize he's just not that weird. You're the weird one, right? And pretty soon you're like friends, right? Why? Because his friendliness provoked in you a response of affection, right? He provoked in you a response that, I kind of like this guy. There's something, why? Because he won you over. That's what happens in relationships. That's what happens in love, and that's what happens with the gospel. Now, here's the reality check, followers of Christ. The foundation of Christianity, the foundation of what it means to be a follower of Christ is love for God. If you are not growing in your love for God, you are not growing in God. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how deeply you wave and cry. and I don't care how many people you serve, how many homeless shelters you, you volunteer in, how much money you give away. Paul put it this way in, in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is a kind of a famous passage because it's the love chapter. It's used in a lot of weddings. You know, love is kind, love is patient, love is... Uh, it, it, which is kind of ironic because it has nothing to do with weddings. 1 Corinthians 13 is actually in a passage where it's dealing with spiritual gifts, basically telling Christians how they can use their gifts to get along with, with people they don't necessarily always like. I guess in some ways it is like marriage. And so... Um, but, but at the beginning of that, of that chapter, Paul says... If, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, in other words, if I have all eloquence, if I'm the most persuasive person in the world, 
but I have not love. I am like a clanging cymbal. If I give away everything I own and offer my body up to be burned, even going to the point of martyrdom, but have not love, I'm like a noisy gong. There's a way to follow God without ever following God. And that's called religion. And Christ follower, it is so easy to fall into religious behavior. Just doing the right things, going through the motions, and letting your heart grow cold to God. The first commandment, the most foundational commandment, is love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You guys, Christianity is not about defeating sin. You are not more spiritual just because you start sinning less. Christianity is not about obeying rules. You are not more spiritual just because you start obeying more rules. Christianity is is not about performing. It's not about getting people's acceptance. It's not about looking right or doing right. Christianity the heart of Christianity, the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. When we talk about walking in Christ, the heart of that is that your heart is being broken in a beautiful way to love God more and more. You see how God has loved you, and in response, you are growing in your love for Him. You're finding your greater and greater delight in Him. You're finding more and more purpose in Him, more and more meaning in Him. You are... This doesn't take away from your earthly ambition, your earthly loves, your earthly joys. It, in fact, enriches them because God is there as the giver of the gift, actually giving it a greater meaning and purpose than simply as an end to itself. The problem is it's way easier to do religion than love God. And so we need to be good and about bringing ourselves to the gospel. That's why we need to be a gospel-centered church, gospel-centered people, continually bringing ourselves to that message of love to provoke us to love God in response. We need to be daily renewing our vision of who God is and what He's done for us so that our hearts are daily being renewed in love for God, daily being provoked to like, holy cow, God loves me. God did that for me. God gave up His best for me so that I could be a son, so that I could be a daughter. And that will release gratitude and joy and freedom in your heart because you will start to actually love God in response. It has the power, you guys, to break the gravitational pull of sin in our hearts, which is always back toward self. Me, me, me. My good, my protection, my agenda, my vision. And it frees us. Instead of trying to pull the entire center of the universe around ourselves, we can, once again, be centered around God. And it frees us from the crushing, self-centered weight of sin. And as we grow in God, that center of gravity is going to shift. And it's going to shift the way we relate to not just God, but to people. And that's kind of the second command um, that we we have here. Um, We're going to be freed to actually love people. That second command says this. Um, there's a second command like the first. He says, um, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. In other words, 
this is it. This is the foundation. This is the center. This is the purpose. This is the meaning. You want to know what it means to be a Christian? It's right here, right? Everything else depends on these two things. So what does it mean to love our neighbors? We love ourselves. Well, who's your neighbor? That's always the first question. Who am I supposed to love? I think basically neighbor is another word for human. (laughs) People that have similar characteristics of humanity with you, right? You're supposed to love them. Right? It's not, you don't get to define your neighbor by people that look like me or act like me or root for the same sport teams as me or are on the same political spectrum as me or are the same color as me or the same socioeconomic demographic as me. Your neighbor is human. You are called to love humans. Why? Because humans were created in the image of God. There's an innate dignity to humanity, even in its most depraved and degraded form, there is a glory in humanity because God created man in his own image. Now, it is a glorious ruin because every one of us, while we were created in the image of God, there is a mar on that image because we have broken away from our center and there is a sin. And that's why it's hard to love because we become self-protective. I mean, let me ask you this. We're called to to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. How do you love yourself? Well, I don't know. I don't don't like myself much, really. Did you feed yourself? No, yeah. Yeah, why? Because you were hungry. Did you clothe yourself? From what I can tell, everybody did. Good job, right? You protect yourself? Do you avoid discomfort? Do you avoid pain? Do you provide for yourself uh, amenities that, that enhance and enrich your life? Yeah. You, how much do you love yourself? You love yourself enough to sacrifice for yourself continually. You love yourself enough to protect yourself, to promote yourself, to, to provide for yourself. You love yourself, in fact, a whole lot. And it's kind of this weird, I know that there are some you know, people that have been so hurt and, and their psychology has in some ways become um, twisted as a result and, and they will actually hurt themselves um, they say they hate themselves, and, but the reality is even that is a form of twisted self-love. They do those things to make themselves feel better about themselves. It's actually them still trying to love themselves in a twisted, broken, hurt way. We cannot break free from self-love because in some ways God actually provided, uh, actually designed us to love ourselves. Loving yourself is not wrong. Loving yourself exclusively is. See, the Scripture doesn't say don't love yourself. It says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, there's the catch, isn't it? We don't like to love anybody else like we love ourselves because we like to love people on our own terms. We don't like to love people. We like to use people because our love, human love, is a response. And so if I find you attractive, I'm going to be attracted to you. Like if we're friends and we have things in common, I'm attracted to your presence. If I find you offensive or rude or or just dumb, uh, I may avoid you right? There's no attraction there. In fact, there may be a bit of a repellent, you know? I just find myself keeping a 10-foot, you know what I'm saying? Like, we we tend to gravitate toward what attracts us. In fact, that's often what we call romantic love. Fairly ironic, actually, when someone's like, man, I just love you. You know what they're really saying? I love the way you make me feel. I love the way you make me feel about me. I love me. That's really what we're saying. And you help me love me. Thanks. We'll put a heart on it and call it Valentine's Day, right? I mean, that's, 
that's romantic love in a lot of ways is, is very simply a, another form of self-love because I find in you things that echo in me, that make me feel good about me. Loving God, like, I mean, loving others like we love ourselves means we love those who are not like us, that don't give back, that don't say thank you, that don't reflect ourselves to ourselves, that don't make us feel good about us. And uh, <laughs> it's an incredibly hard thing to do. Some of you are like, you know, Steve, that's, I'm kind of a giving person. I, I really, you know, I spend my summers doing internships. I love to... I've gone toward, you know, I work in, in field, you know, maybe social, um, you know, work. Um, my brain is fried, sorry. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I volunteer in shelters and I, I do all these things. I just love people. I, you know, go down to the bottom of that well and see what you find. I'm going to bet you're going to find at the bottom of that a little kernel that says, I do these things because I love the way I feel about myself when I do them. I feel better about myself when I do these things. There's something about it that is very rewarding to me, so it attracts me. You know how I know? Because every single person in this room has probably been at that point where you're like, I can't give anymore. Sorry, I'm drained. And you know what that point happened? The point where that happens is where the benefit no longer outweighs the cost. As soon as the benefit stops outweighing the cost we're out because we love ourselves. How do we obey this command? How do you actually love others like you love yourself? Not not just be nice to others, not just be polite to others, but actually love others. Well, here's the deal. The same love that frees you to love God will free you to love others. That's why Jesus says the first command is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. It is the, the, the foundation from which we grow into loving others. You cannot, you cannot love others without having your heart gripped and broken by the love of the gospel. You can't. You can be a very kind person. You can be a very nice person. You can be even a very loving person in the sense that, but, but when we're talking about loving others like you love yourself, that standard, which is no longer about affinity and reward and what makes you feel good, and it is something that is beyond your ability to give if all you're doing is drawing on your own power. The gospel, though, transforms our hearts. It, it, it frees us from that black hole of self-centered focus. And what ends up happening is we come to love people. Not because we find them lovable, but because we love the one that created them. When we love the Creator, we come to love what the Creator loves. And you are freed um, in very powerful ways to Love people who are, who are not like you because you see in them an image of the one that you do love, your beloved, your Savior. The gospel has the ability to free you from thinking about self-interest. And instead, you're focused on His interest. Catch this, you guys. Our love for others is not primarily about our love for others. Our love for others is primarily about our love for God. Our hearts have been broken by a God 
who has initiated love with us. The one who knew no sin became sin for us and died and rose again, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That breaks our hearts and it brings us to love God. And as we come to love God and we see that people are created in the image of God, we can love the unlovable not because of some superhuman strength in us, but because we see that God, the one we love, loves them. And in response to our love for Him, we are freed to love those that we don't naturally love. We are freed from that crushing weight of the gravity of the self-focused interest that is so necessary to our hearts. You guys catch this. Love is the only powerful, the only power in the universe strong enough to do this. Love is the only power in the universe strong enough to free your heart. Love is at the heart of the universe the most transforming, powerful force because love is God. God is love. And we know this in a very simple way in our human relationships. Anybody here love sleep deprivation? You know, you love being exhausted and going to bed. And right when you're slipping into the deepest sleep of the night, you know, about two hours in, you get woken up by a crying baby. Isn't that great? Don't we love that? Right? It's like, yes, I get to go sit with a crying baby in the darkness. This is awesome. Right? Why do we do it? What parent hasn't? One of of my favorite memories with, with all of my kids was that moment when our eyes, very first time, locked. And they weren't just like, you know, like, looking all over. But they actually, like, saw me. Their eyes locked on my eyes. And they smiled. They saw me. They recognized me. They loved me. And in that moment, my heart breaks. In that moment, I am not worried about my sleep deprivation. I am not worried about how much my back hurts because I'm sitting in this rocker. In that moment, I am like, holy cow, there is a world of love. Who hasn't known this in, in the eyes of a lover? who has gone beyond just loving the idea of you or loving the appearance of you and actually has come to love you. Like you know, they, they know you in ways that no one else knows you. They see you in ways no one else sees you and they delight in you. And it produces in you a response that simply says, it's worth it. Now here's the challenge. All human love is tainted with pain because all human love is tainted with selfishness. Every parent who has lost a child, every parent who has had to look in the child who at one time was smiling and is now looking at them saying, I hate you, every, every lover who has struggled looking into the eyes of the one they once loved and wondering if they still love them, all human love is tainted by pain because all human love is tainted by the gravity of sin in our hearts. At the heart of the universe is a love that does not disappoint. At the heart of the universe is a love that never pulls back and never hurts. It never reneges. It never gives a promise that it doesn't fulfill. Because it is rooted in the very purpose and power and choice of God. And He has determined to bless you. He has determined to change you, to free you. When that love grips your heart, 
It will free you to love others in ways that right now you don't even understand. And you will come to delight in others, not because them, but because the God you love delights in them, created them in his own image. You will come to be able to love even those who don't love you in response like God does. You will come to love those who maybe even reject your love like God does. It shifts the gravity. The gravitational center moves to God instead of your own heart. And when that gravitational shifts to the person of God, it frees you in beautiful ways. And I, want to ca- I want you to catch this, you guys. What it does is it actually increases your capacity for love. The gravitational pull of sin shrinks your ability to express and experience love. It shrinks your ability to enjoy and delight. It, it shrinks your ability to, to experience pleasure. The most self-centered people are the most miserable people. The ones that are the most determined to focus on their own advancement, their own joy, their own purpose are the darkest, most miserable, ugly people on the face of the earth because they have distanced themselves from the God who has created them, the very one that can fulfill their deepest desires. What I am talking about is being freed to become what you were created to be, to experience what you were created to experience, to become what God says you can be. There are a few implications that come out of this that I want to finish with. As we simply look at this idea that God, the God of love, wants to free us to love Him and to love others. And that's this. First of all, following Jesus is about learning to love, not learning rules. You want to know what it means to be a follower of Christ? It means learning to love, not learning more rules. It's not about behavior modification. It is not about conformity. It's not even about morality. You can, you can follow all the rules and be playing the wrong game. You can be the most moral person in the room and be the farthest from God. The people in our passage that were questioning Jesus were called the Pharisees. They were the most moral people the world had ever known. They had more rules than you can imagine, and they had strictly disciplined themselves to follow every single one of them with the attempt of ultimately trying to win God's favor. And when God showed up in the flesh, they killed him. They were winning their game, but it wasn't God's. It's not about rules. It's not about morality. It's about love. Here's the deal. If you don't get the gospel, you can't obey God. If your heart is not being broken by God's love for you, it doesn't matter how moral you are. It doesn't matter how many rules you keep. It doesn't matter how much you sacrifice, how many missions you go on, how, how, how much time you spend with homeless shelter. It doesn't matter because you're missing the first and foremost command. You're missing the center, the most meaningful thing in the universe, which is that you were designed to delight in your creator because he is infinitely delightful. You are still operating out of a self-centered, dark heart, which says, I will perform for God because I trust myself. 
Instead of saying, I will rest in how God has performed for me. I will delight in the love of a God who loves me. And that'll change you. That will change you. You will become more moral. (laughs) But not because of rules. But because it's going to free you from self-centered, self-destructive, other-destructive behaviors. You're not going to steal other people's stuff. You're not going to rip them off. You're not going to steal their reputation. You're not going to tear them down behind their back. You're not going to... Why? Because love has freed you from the need to build your own dark kingdom. It's not about learning rules. It's about learning to love. The second thing is this, that love is the very purpose of the church. The only reason we exist is love. It's the meaning of the human existence, the human experience. And it is the purpose for which God created the church. Here's the deal. Love can't be experienced without other people. (laughs) I know that's bad news for some of you. Um, Love simply can't be experienced without other people, which means that God created us for people. And there's two aspects to that that I want to focus on. Our, Our mission statement says that we're walking in Christ as a community on mission. Now, walking in Christ is that peace that's about coming to know God and love God in a deeper, more powerful way. And we're doing that through the process of, of living together in community, not like communally, right? We don't all live in the same apartment building, but, but you know, like in community, we're doing life together. We know each other and are known. We, we share life. We're, we're intentionally bonding ourselves together with other followers of Christ, right? Not, not because we have affinity, but because God's called us to community, and we're also moving out on mission. So let's talk about those two aspects quickly. First of all, this, community. Community is the love of fellow believers. The heart of community is love. Now, the church has done horrible things to community. They renamed it fellowship, and then they gave it its own little hall. And those of you who grew up in church know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Fellowship is that thing that happens in fellowship hall. What happens in fellowship hall? Fellowship hall is where you go get your cup of coffee. Fellowship hall is where you smile at people and you shake their hands, even if you don't like them. Fellowship hall is that place where you're nice and you're polite and you get out. It lasts about 15 minutes on a Sunday morning so you can endure it, right? That's Fellowship Hall. That's not community. Community is is not simply being nice, right? There's that sin that we call niceness. And there is a sin of niceness when it replaces love. We, We settle for politeness. What we're called for is vulnerability. Community. It requires you to be part of the church. Here's the thing. You need the church. Oftentimes when someone becomes a believer, the first thing they kind of think is, okay, now I've got to go find a church. What you need to realize is that you don't need to go find a church. You actually are the church. When you become a believer in Christ, when you are saved, you are saved into a community. God has already placed you in the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a meeting. The church is not a place. The church is a people. The Greek word for church, ekklesia, literally means the called out people of God. If you're a believer in Christ, you are part of the church. <laughs> that was news I didn't like when I first became a believer. When I first became a believer, I mean, I was just like, for a long, I went through this season where in high school, I went to a Christian high school and it was just not a good experience. And, and I had come away with just this anger, honestly, an anger toward Christianity and toward Christians and their hypocrisy and, and all the games they played and everything else. And I was kind of like, you know, my thinking was, I'm, I think I'm okay with Jesus, but I'm just like not okay with his followers. They're idiots, right? So then I become a believer, and then I'm like, okay, I'll follow Jesus, but there's no way I'm joining his church. <laughs> You're in the church, man. 
You are the church. How ironic is it, right? It's like you're part of a body, a spiritual body God's put you in. And, and, and honestly, you're a wart. And you're calling out the hand like, man, I don't want to be that hand. Look how ugly that thing is. That's me. That was, I'm like looking at the rest of the body going, I don't want to be like them. If I would have looked in a mirror, guess what? I would have looked just like them. The church is a hard place to be in, you guys, because it's made up of broken, sick people, people that are forgiven, people that are being redeemed and changed. They've been justified by the work of Christ, and they're being progressively changed in the image of Christ. That's progressive. It's not immediate. The church is made up of broken people, and it's going to hurt. People are going to say stupid things. People are going to be insensitive. People are going to challenge you when you don't want to be challenged. People are going to be selfish when you need them to be giving. It's going to hurt. But God's Spirit is in the church. And He changes us in the church in ways that He doesn't anywhere else. We are called to our identity as a corporate people in the church. To know and be known. To love and be loved. And as you move more deeply into community, yes, it hurts, but it's also more fulfilling because you start to discover more of the image of God. When God created us, each one of us doesn't have the total image of God in us, right? God Himself is eternal community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a trinity, three in one. I don't get it. What I do know is this. What that means is there's an eternal relationship of joy in the Godhead. And the only way for us to discover what it means... To image God is with others. He created us to be a corporate people. And He reveals Himself in the gathering of His people as we do life together. And sometimes it does hurt. But think of it like a rock tumbler, right? You're coming in. you got rough edges. you got pointy stuff, right? You put that rock tumbler on, and pretty soon they're getting knocked on. And that's not comfortable, and it kind of hurts, but it changes you right? You learn to be humble. You can't do that in any other setting. You learn what it means to do the one another's. You can't read. Here's the thing, you guys. You can't read the Bible. You can't read the New Testament and not go to church and have it make any sense. You just can't. You can't because it's designed for a corporate people. There are 60 commands in the New Testament that are one another's, right? Love one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. <clears throat> Greet one another with a holy kiss. Try and do that one by yourself. It doesn't work. We've changed that a little bit. Now it's greet one another with a, with a holy handshake or high five. Don't kiss me. But, you know, the point is this, that there's, there's a sense in which the New Testament expects and, in fact, requires us to be doing life with other believers. We simply cannot experience the love of God fully, and we cannot honor God unless we are part of His body, part of His bride. We need to be in community, learning to love fellow believers and learning to be loved by fellow believers. We are wired to find life together. So secondly, we're supposed to love one another, be in community with one another. That's committing to one another. It's, it's like covenanting together and recognizing that God has called us to be together. So if Trailhead is your home church. It means you don't just show up on Sundays. You're going to hear me, hear, this, hear me say that a lot, right? We don't have midweek meetings. I'm not saying, hey, you got to come to Wednesday. And Thursday. What I'm saying is you need to do life with people in Trailhead. You need to get involved with people at Trailhead. You need to know and be known, right? And we have systems and structures to help you do that. Community groups and other structures. 
but it means doing life together. But we also need to be on mission together. And mission, very simply, is following a God of mission. God sent His Son into a hostile environment, into an alien world, to give a message of love. We are to follow that God. And God is still a missionary God. And if you are following God, you are a missionary. You are on the same path following the same God, which means you're also going to have to love people. So here's the deal. Christians, I want you to catch this. Christ followers. Mission is not about conversion. God never commanded you to go out and get conversions. Mission's about love. God has commanded you to love people, whether they're followers of Christ or not. And in so doing, show them and tell them about the God of love. The challenge is, as a church, we've really not done this really well, and, and, and there's been challenges with this. So consider this. Um, in the uh, 1990s, late 80s, early 90s, some of you may remember these guys. Uh, this is Millie Vanilli, right? Um, they came on the scene, and they were this huge splash. Some of you are like, I wasn't even alive in 1990. I don't want to hear about it, okay? So, but, but you know, it, it, they were um, like this. They just came on the scene, and, and um, uh, they... they had a, a, this hit record and, you know, girl, you know, it's true. I can't sing, but, you know, it's like these guys had it all. They had the voices, they had the bodies, they had the look, they had the dance moves. They were just taking the place by storm. Their first album takes Grammy for best new artist, right? I mean, they are just living the dream. <sighs> the problem is they can't sing. The producers knew that, right? This is Rob and Fab. I don't know which one's which. But Rob and Fab couldn't sing, and so they grabbed these two guys from Germany who could. And these two guys from Germany cut the tracks, and these guys learned how to lip sync. These guys got up on stage and pretended to sing. They were up there. The crazy thing is they believed it. They got to this point where they believed their own lie. They believed that they not only were famous, but deserved to be famous. The problem was... um, it all came crashing down at a concert. They were doing a live concert. And I don't know exactly how this happens. I don't know if they were using a record, if it was a digital track or whatever. But the thing started skipping in the middle of the concert. And they're up there singing, and it's no longer matching. Now, today we're like, well, okay, they, you know, we, we get lip syncing, right? Uh, you know, if you're doing all those dance moves, your voice gets a little winded, I'd rather listen. You know, back then, man, it was like, this was the revelation. Everyone's like, they're lip syncing. Well, now you need to prove. You need to sing live. The problem was they, they were horrible. They had bad voices. (laughs) And everything came crashing down. They had to give their Grammy back. Um, And and they were so convinced of their, it's really a sad story, they were so convinced of their fame, they actually went on and released their own album, Robin Fab. (laughs) It it wasn't good. It was bad. Um, And they didn't know how to live. Rob ended up committing suicide uh, because he didn't, didn't know how to cope without the facade of who he thought he was supposed to be. Now, what does this have to do with mission? What does any of this have to do with with mission in the church? This. When we divorce love from mission, we're just lip syncing. When we are on mission, talking about God, serving the name of God, but we're doing it absent from an actual transforming love of God, we are just faking. And we are misrepresenting Christ. 
And people know it. People are offended by it. They don't want to be your target. They don't want to be the, the low-hanging fruit that you're out there trying to pluck, right? That's, they want to be people who are loved and valued. And isn't that the heart of the gospel message? How could you more misrepresent the heart of the gospel than by preaching the gospel, but not by, but by doing it absent from the love of the gospel, the transforming, empowering love? Here's the deal, you guys. If, 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 if we're following God, we're going to love what God loves, and we are going to share with people about Christ. I, I sit down and I tell people about Christ. It's not because I want another notch on my belt. It's not because I'm doing it out of guilt or out of duty. It's not because it's my, my, it is because I love them. I'm a beggar who found bread and it's more than I can eat. In fact, it's an endless supply. How could I not tell others where to find it? This is the most transforming message in the universe. It has absolutely changed my life and the life of countless others. How could I not share it with others? How could I not serve them in the way that the sovereign God of the universe has served me? How could I not love them? It's not about guilt or duty or pride. It's about loving people. And in loving people, in service and in word, you're giving them a glimpse of the God that you're telling them about. We're going to talk more about this next week, actually. Next week, we're going to talk about specific ways that our church partners together to organize mission and, and um, to love. Um, and um, I'm going to share some pretty exciting stuff with you then. But right now, what I want to do is actually just give you an opportunity to join us. Um, one of the things that we do, and I realize this, is... is um, I, we're trying to get better at, at um, giving like entry points um, into our church. We have a lot of folks in our neighborhood. They honestly don't even know we're here. We're kind of the invisible church, right? We got no signs. There's no weekly presence, right? We meet in a bank. It, it's, you know, we're just, you know, it's like Sunday mornings. If you don't catch the little flag sign and somebody doesn't invite you, you don't even know we're here. I believe there are people in our community that are far from God that desperately need to hear the good news of God. Starting in two weeks, we're going to start a new sermon series called Deep Rest. And we're going to take seven weeks and we're going to look specifically at how God wired us to work from rest. And in doing so, how that invigorates us and gives us joy and energy. It increases our productivity and and ultimately it increases our well-being. That's a message our neighbors need to hear. That's a message we need to hear. And what we want to do is give you an opportunity to invite people to hear it. And so what we've done is we've made these door hangers and and our community groups are going to be going out into the community to to hang the door hangers. really just for the purpose of, of inviting people and letting them know we're here and letting them know that this is a series that, that God you know, can use in their lives. Um, you can hand it to people that you want to invite. You can join us in, the, in, in actually hanging the door hangers. There are, there are different nights that we've targeted, different neighborhoods. Uh, and, and if you're in a community group, that's going to be part of the communication coming out this week. If you're not, I want to invite you to join us. This is kind of a tangible way that we're sacrificing to love our community. Um, this is not a church growth strategy. <laughs> a lot of times they are. That's not my goal. My goal is to invite people to hear something they desperately need to hear and invite them to consider things that are going to um, basically transform their lives, right? And I want to invite you to join us on mission and loving our neighbors in this way. We're going to have a table set up in the lobby um, that you can visit to get more information about what we're doing over the coming week to get the door hangers out um, and, and um, so that you can join us 
in doing this. Okay. All right, for now, what we're going to do is we're going to move into our time of response. I'm going to put some questions on the screen. I'm going to ask you to pray and, and listen to God and, and, and let God speak to your heart. Okay. Um, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Millie Vanilli was still up there. Um, and uh, we're also going to take our offering. This is a chance for our, our uh, members and regular attenders to, to give joyfully and sacrificially. It's our way of partnering together um, to basically fund the work of the gospel in our community, right? Um, God is generously given to us, and we joyfully pool our resources together to keep um, uh, moving the gospel forward um, in our lives and in the lives of others. And so we, j- we invite you to join us in our, in our offering. Um, if you're a visitor, please fill out that worship response card that's in your bulletin. We would love to know you were here. Um, if you have a prayer request, fill it out. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you. We're going to have some leaders at the back that are available to pray with you. If there are specific pressing things you'd love to pray, they would love to pray over you okay, or to speak to you. So they're available at the back as well. For now, let me just pray for us, um, and we will go into our time of response. Father, I thank you that you are a self-giving God, that while you are holy, absolutely, infinitely holy and separate from sin. You do not, in that place of perfection, separate yourself from us simply to judge us or reject us or look down on us. You have taken pity on us. And in response to our deep need, you gave yourself up for us that we might once again have life God, I pray that you would use that very simple message this morning as you have for the last 2,000 years to provoke our hearts to love you in response. That it would awaken within us our need for that kind of deep, transcendent love. And it would fill us with joy as we realize that we have it in you. And it came at a price, a dear price, for which we can only be thankful. Move our hearts, Lord.